0: I want you to get that you need to take care of you so you can take care of other people. I want you to take care of you so you can be a gift to your family. I want you to not be one of those people that stumbles around in life I want you to be one of the people that says there is a consequence to every behavior. So when I choose the behavior, I realize I choose the consequence. If you think you're damaged in some way, you're going to generate results that second-class people should have. If you look at people that are really successful in business or really happy in their marriage and family, and you say secretly, well, that's for them, that's not for me. I don't really deserve that, then you'll never generate that. If you have a damaged personal truth, you will generate a lifestyle, a standard of living mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, socially, that goes along with being damaged. Probably going to think that maybe I'm a pessimist or maybe I'm a little paranoid. The truth of the matter is I'm not. I'm actually an incurable optimist. But I'm an optimist because I think we can prepare for anything. And we always hear that life is a game. And I agree with that. Life is a game. And you may think, oh, boy, it's not. You get a terminal disease or something, that's not a game. Yeah, it is. You have to be a player. It is a game. Does, games aren't always funny. They're not always frivolous. They're not always for trivial stakes. Sometimes a game has stakes that are life or death, but they're still a game. And in the game of life, I just have the belief that you're either going to be a player or you're going to be played. And my problem is if you're like me and you were raised by the kind of parents that I was raised by and came up through the educational system that I came up through, You were taught how the world should work, not how the world does work. Now, think about the difference. You were taught how the world should work. If you work hard, you're going to get your just rewards. And that on the playground, you always heard cheaters never win and winners never cheat. Well, let me tell you, that is exactly where that belongs, is on a playground with children because if you think cheaters never win, wake up. Cheaters do win, and winners do cheat. Lance Armstrong, I mean, come on, wake up. That is just simply a myth. So I was taught how the world was supposed to work, how the world should work, and then I got out there in the real world and found out how it did work, and it was a whole lot different than what I was taught. And here's the truth of the matter. Your life, just like my life, is full of bad people. Bad people. There's also a lot of good people in it, don't get me wrong, but it's full of bad people. And most of us, and I was guilty of this for a period of time, most of us are stagnant. We're unwilling to take the initiative to get bad people out of our lives. We let days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years and we just let those bad people stay in our lives. They have bad karma, they don't wish us well, they don't want us to succeed, they're jealous if we do, they drag us down, suck us dry, they try to take what's ours and use it for their own benefit. They lie, cheat, steal, talk behind our back, gossip about us, sabotage us. They're two-faced, they betray us. We all have those kind of people in our lives because they hide in plain sight, they're just everywhere. You've got them in every category of your life, and I'm going to be asking you about that. I'm going to ask you to categorize your life work, home, family, recreation, church, wherever, and just see if you can identify where these people are. What I want to do today is I want to talk to you about how to spot them and how to defeat them. And knowledge is power, and I intend to give you plenty of both today plenty of knowledge and plenty of power. And that equips you to live in the world as it is, not as how it should be. So here's the deal. If, if you think this world is all hunky-dory, let me tell you, uh, it's not. It's estimated right now that we have over 5,000 active cults operating in America, for example. It is estimated by the Federal Trade Commission that over half of the phone calls you receive in your life this year are going to be scams. Now think about what I just said. One out of every two phone calls you get are going to be based on somebody trying to take what is yours. They're calling you to rob you. They're calling you to trick you, scam you, cheat you out of your money there are this is a multi-billion dollar industry and it preys upon the unsuspected the uninformed it preys upon the immigrant communities because they're new to america and they don't know the system they don't know the laws but it's not just the immigrant community it preys upon those that are unsuspected and they're uninformed Now, I can tell you one of the things that I've done with the two boys that Robin and I have raised, Jay and Jordan, is I started out in the very beginning and I said, boys, one thing I want to teach you is to always be situationally aware. Situationally aware. You walk into a restaurant. and, And by the way, I didn't raise my boys to be paranoid, to see the world as a scary place that they should shy away from. Both of my boys are very outgoing. They're very engaging, but they have confidence because they have awareness, because they go in wide eyed open at what can go wrong. But I always taught them about situational awareness, even if they just go into a restaurant. I always taught them as soon as you walk in the door, scan the room and find the most unstable person, the most dangerous person in the room. And keep an eye on them. Look for the exits in a room. Look for what can go wrong in a situation. And then go on about your go on about your business. Enjoy your dinner. Enjoy your evening, whatever you're doing. But be situationally aware. And you think, what, what are you trying to raise a couple of James Bonds here? Well, yes, yeah, sorta. Because I want them to be aware of what's going on. How about you? Do you get up in the morning and just kind of stumble around? Or are you situationally aware? I love life, but not everything in it. I love people, but not all of them. Hell, I love myself, but not everything about me. Nothing is all one way or another. And there is power in having a crystal clear view of reality. So yes, I do want you to be situationally aware. I do want you to pay attention. Now, I gave you the example of being situationally aware when you come into a room. That's environmentally. Are you situationally aware about the people in your life? Do you know who
1: in your life is not a fan? Do you know who in your life is your enemy? Do
0: you know who in your life is trying to exploit you, stab you in the back,
1: hurt you in some way? And trust me, when you know that, you can be prepared
0: and you are a whole lot less apt to become a victim. Now, let me tell you the number one tool of muggers, for example, and I've interviewed a lot of muggers. You know what their number one tool is? Surprise. They tell me that they'll walk up to somebody on the street at night, and the first thing they say is something like, hey, what time do you have? And because we're unsuspecting, and because we're polite, and because we're courteous, what's the first thing you do when somebody says, hey, what time do you have? The first thing you do is you lift up your left wrist, and you look down. Okay, so now you've taken your eyes off the person in front of you, put your head down, and put your hand in an, a position that's hard to defend yourself. And in that second, they strike. And the muggers tell me two things. Number one, they've now incapacitated the person because they've gotten them to take their eye off the ball and they say then they've got about a five-second window when the person is in denial.
1: The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth. But when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig the news on Merritt Street, essential
0: television. They say they're in denial about what's happening. Oh, my God, I'm, ge- I'm getting mugged here. Somebody just hit me in the head. Somebody just knocked me up beside the head. And it takes them that long to realize, oh, my God, I'm being mugged. And in that time, they're able to get the advantage They rely on our denial, our unwillingness to accept that something bad can and is happening to them. That's what I'm trying to say to you right now, to not let happen to you. I'm talking about crystal clarity when you're viewing reality and situational awareness about the people around you and your environment. I want you to be street smart. Think about these people in your life. I want to give you a name for them. They're called baiters. Baiters. B-A-I-T-E-R. Baiter. B stands for backstabber. A stands for abuser. I stands for imposter. T stands for taker. E stands for exploiter. And R stands for reckless. Baiter. That's a new word. That's a new term I want you to put in your vocabulary because I want you to find the baiters in your life. And let me tell you how I came up with this. The goal in psychology is to differentiate one pathology from another. So we want to differentiate depression from anxiety. We want to differentiate uh, an antisocial personality from a borderline personality. We want to differentiate those. You know why? Because insurance companies require us to differentiate them so we have a code we can write down so we can bill. Because you've got to, you got to write down a code and then you send it in and they pay you money for that. So we've got to put people in pigeonholes. But the truth is those are false Boundary lines. Number two, perception of uniqueness. Identify your strengths and know what they are so you can play to them. And this leads to number two in your playbook. You must create a perception of uniqueness. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you do not want to be a face in the crowd. You don't want to be a robot. You do not want to be an interchangeable person in a relationship. At your job, anywhere, if you're just a random person, That yes person. This person can be here again. Another person can be here. I didn't make much difference there. A lot of jobs are like that. You know, jobs that, well, anybody can do. It just doesn't really matter who does it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not for you. If you want to improve your life, you have to create a perception of uniqueness. And I'm saying perception of uniqueness because it doesn't do any good to be unique. If people don't perceive that you're unique, you've got to make sure they recognize your uniqueness. You may have some unique skill, but if nobody knows it but you, what good is it? So you have to decide unique. What is it about you? You don't want to just be in the middle of the herd. You don't want to blend into the background. If you want to be a winner, you need to find, embrace, and project those things that sets you apart from the herd, set you apart from everything and everyone else. Uniqueness is valuable in so many different respects. And I'm one of those people that believes in a defined product. A defined product. You cannot be all things to all people. I think you have to be a defined product. People need to know what they get when they get you. I have subscribed to this philosophy my entire life, including right now. When I say to you right now, Dr. Phil, what comes to mind? Just think about that. What calls to mind? Now, in that you're listening to this, I hope it's something positive, or maybe you just tuned in because you love to hate me. Well, that's okay, because I don't have a need to be loved by strangers. But when you think of Dr. Phil, I'll bet you don't confuse me with anybody else. Now, there are other psychologists out there, other shrinks out there, other mental health professionals but I'll bet you don't confuse me with any of them. And there are, I'll guarantee you, there are psychologists in America that have forgotten more psychology than I'll ever know, but they forgot about learning how to communicate it. I've got some of them on my advisory board because I'll call them up. It will be something really complex or whatever, and I think, okay, I want to make sure that I've got this right. I want to make sure I've got the cutting edge information Some of these men and women are the editors of the peer review journals. So I know they've got access to research that won't be published for another 18 months. So I don't give cutting-edge information. I give ahead of cutting-edge information. What research has shown that you can get from Dr. Phil that you won't see in the journals for another year and a half. So I'm talking about OCD. Believe me. I've got up-to-the-minute information because I talk to people that know more about it than I do. There are some people that spend their entire career on that one disorder. I don't, but I know who does. So I bring these experts in. Now, when I say you're not going to confuse me with anybody else, there are people out there like John Gray. John Gray wrote Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus or whatever the title of it was. I know John, very nice guy, a lot of wisdom, but you're not going to confuse the two of us because he's going to pat your hand and tell you it's going to be okay and why. And he's very effective at what he does, but we're very different, very different. You're not going to confuse me with him or him with me. I believe in a defined product. And look, you may think my defined product is I'm a barbarian. You may think I'm the second coming of common sense, and you're probably both a little bit right, but you don't confuse me, and that's what I want you to decide. What is it about you that's unique? What is it about you that sets you apart from the rest of the herd? If you want to win, you're going to have to be aggressive. The meek shall inherit the earth, but as the old joke goes, who will step up to claim it? The meek may inherit it, but none among them will step up to claim it. I want you to step up and claim it. And that's number four. Learn to claim and accept praise and acknowledge it in a gracious way, but do accept it. Now think about that. Every strategy you embrace, every action plan you execute should be designed to distinguish you in a positive way. Right? I mean, you want to get noticed. You want to get ahead. I said you want to come up with an image that distinguishes you through your uniqueness and you want to play big. That means you want to make waves. You want to make noise. You want people to notice you. And when they do, you're going to get praised. Maybe it's in your career. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your social circles, romantic relationships, whatever it is. But people are going to step up and praise you. Why is it that most people have a problem accepting compliments? Why is it that when somebody gets praised, somebody gets acknowledged, somebody gets the just rewards of everything they've worked to achieve, the typical response is, oh, shucks, weren't nothing, and dig their toe in the carpet like, oh, you know, no, don't mention it, don't mention it. What the hell you mean don't mention it? I've been working six months to get noticed here. Yes, do mention it. Mention it to everybody you know. Tell everybody you know what I did. You don't want to be one of those people that shies away From what you have earned. If you have earned the right to be praised, if you have earned the right to be acknowledged, then you need to graciously accept that. And for some reason, we have been taught humility. We shouldn't be embracing praise and acknowledgement. And I told you this isn't for the squeamish, because I'm telling you, you absolutely should. Humility is great in certain times, in certain circumstances, but when you are on the move in your life, in your career, in whatever it is you're pursuing, and you are upwardly mobile, why wouldn't you graciously accept the compliment or the invitation to move to the next level? And I can only think of two reasons. One, you've been taught it's prideful and narcissistic to seek attention. So, you shun it when it comes, or two, you really don't believe you deserve it. You just really don't think that you've earned it. You don't believe you've deserved it. Well, let me remove that first obstacle right now. It is not prideful, it's not egotistical to accept, claim, or expect praise. And I say expect because you teach people how to treat you. And when you do a job well, then you need to teach people that you expect to be acknowledged for it. And if you don't do a job well, then you should expect people to say, hey, that was not up to par. You need to step up your game. You don't want to be lied to. If you want to succeed in this world, you need honest feedback, right? You need people to tell you the truth, or you're going to continue this trend toward mediocrity or worse. You need to choose to respond differently when someone praises you or confirms your value. So how about simply learning and practicing to say somebody praises you, they come up and say, hey, I just got to tell you, you did a really good job on this project. And you may think it's gracious to say, oh, no, listen, it was nothing. How about instead saying, thank you for saying that. You are really kind to notice. Is that prideful? Is that egotistical? Is that narcissistic? Is that obnoxious? Is it obnoxious for you to say, thank you for saying that, you're very kind to notice. Or, that means so much coming from you, so thank you for noticing, and thank you for taking the time to say so. Does that seem obnoxious? If you're in a personal or romantic situation, you can reciprocate at the level of comment that you received. It is always safe to begin with a straightforward, thank you for your kind words, and then add any specific reaction that you want to. The second obstacle, if you don't believe that you deserve the credit or praise, then let me assure you, others will soon begin to agree with you. Because anybody that's truly evaluating a person's worth, value, skills, and abilities, In their heart of hearts, they're going to say they know themselves better than I do. So who am I to second-guess them? They've known themselves since the day they were born. And they seem to know that they're not very smart, they're not very good, they're kind of lazy, and they don't really have ownership in the good outcome here. So who am I to second-guess them? They're going to defer to you eventually. They may not say it to your face. But I can promise you they're eventually going to say it to themselves. If you lack self-confidence, if you lack self-worth, like I said, you teach people how to treat you pretty soon, they're going to agree with you. I hear you, Doc, but where's the line? I mean, does that make you a self-promoter? Yeah, probably so. But if even you won't promote yourself, why would anybody else? I do Dr. Phil every day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year. People ask me, is this worth watching? What do you think I say? Oh, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's just something to do. I don't know. You think that's what I say? Absolutely not. I say, I absolutely believe it's worth watching. We really work to destigmatize mental illness in America. We give people common sense information delivered to their homes every day for free. And I think, in fact, that it is the highest and best use of television. Is that self-promoting? I hope so. Because I intend to promote what I do because I believe in what I do. And if somebody sees me on the street and they come up and say, Dr. Phil, I just love your show. I love your message. I say, thank you. Thank you for saying that because we take it real seriously. It's great to hear from you that you take time out of your day to watch. That means a lot. Why would you not do the same thing in your own life? And I'm asking you to do that because that's one of the things winners do. Number five, you must become essential. Now, this goes with being unique. That means that there's something about you that distinguishes you from everyone else, and you want to be noticed, right? But what I'm talking about now is in whatever situation you're in, you want to be perceived as essential, And I'll give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I have had the same personal assistant for 40 plus years now. And her name is Barbara. And let me tell you how essential she is. She knows everything about my life. If I need a passcode to get into the Nest thermostat at my house, I call Barbara. She knows what it is. If I need the passcodes to the streaming services on my phone. I don't know what they are, but Barbara knows. If the printer or the copier gets jammed at the office, maybe a lot of places call the company and say, this isn't working. All I've got to do is say, Barbara, she comes in and she knows exactly what to do. She can unpack it, deconstruct it, put it back together. In the time somebody else would take to call a repairman, she knows where every contract is, where every file is, how to fix every office machine. She knows what every phone number goes to. She knows who to put through, who not to put through. She is essential. It's like you would feel if you lost your phone. If Barbara took a week and just went totally off the radar, I guess they'd just have to put me in a medically induced coma. She knows everything. She is essential. And if somebody said, well, you're going to have to cut back here, you're going to have to get rid of some employees, she would be last on the list because she is essential in so many different areas. She is a jack of all trade and a master of most. She is essential, as opposed to somebody that maybe is a specialist, somebody they do this job or they do that job. She has made herself essential. Do people perceive you as being an essential member of your sociogram, an essential member of your work group, an essential member of whatever it is that you're involved in? And if you want to be a winner, if you want to be an important member of a team, you need to create the perception of being essential. And I say perception because it's not just enough to be essential. You have to make sure that people perceive you as being essential. That's what I mean about accepting praise. If somebody comes and says, wow, sure glad you're here because you know how to do, well, everything. You don't want to say, well, no, I mean, everybody kind of knows how to do all this stuff. Are, Are you kidding me? Say, well, thank you for noticing. I've been here a long time, and I've made it my job to learn, I guess, every job here. So thank you for noticing. You want to confirm, yes, I am essential. Damn right. Common sense tells you that if they don't miss you when you're gone, chances are pretty good you're going to be just that, gone. I don't want you to just hope this doesn't happen to you. I want you to find actions you can take towards becoming essential, irreplaceable in whatever scenario you're in. And while we're talking about common sense, you want to guard and protect what you know. Do not give away the recipe to the secret sauce. Remember, there is no reality, only perception. So to maintain this perception, you want to guard your unique knowledge. If you know how to do five things that only you know how to do, you really don't want to go teach three other people how to do those five things. Now, you may be thinking, well, now, come on, Dr. Phil, I'm a team player. I want everybody to be able to do everything I can do. Well, okay. Okay. Go knock yourself out. But if you want to be essential, if you want to be a player, if you want to be a winner, you are going to maintain some unique skills, some unique abilities, some unique knowledge that nobody knows but you. Now, I'm asking you to think about that. Does that make sense? Don't give away everything that makes you essential, everything that makes you unique. So bottom line what I'm telling you here is the secret to success is to know things no one else knows and guard those things you know that no one else knows. I mean just be smart about it. When you get into the game of life folks, this is chess not checkers. And if you think that other people aren't playing this game with strategic objectives in mind, then you're going to miss the level at which life is happening. Don't be one of those that doesn't get it. This is chess, not checkers. Number six in your playbook is you must know your real currency. I just really don't like psychobabble, I don't like words that have been so overused that they lose their meaning. It really bugs me when I hear people talking about, I want to empower people. I want, you know, come on. I mean, empower has been used so much that it's lost its meaning. What do you even mean when you say that? Think about number six. You must
1: know your real currency. What do you really value? The most
0: obvious form of currency is monetary, money. That's currency. Currency is money. But there are other forms of currency, right? Like getting praise. We just talked about accepting praise. A lot of people value getting praise and acknowledgement. They used to say about General Patton in the war, you give him a couple of headlines, he's good for another hundred miles. He'll press on through whatever the odds are. He loved headlines. He liked that. It was of value to him. Some people love social currency. They love friends. They love to feel like they have a sense of belongingness to a group. We all feel better if we think we're part of something, we belong to something, that we're accepted by others. If you have spent time in prayer and meditation and reading the Bible or the Quran or whatever it is that is your connection, and you feel a sense of peace about that, and you feel a closer walk with your higher power, which I choose to call God, then you have spiritual currency. You feel like you have a connection. So there are lots of different forms of currency. Sometimes when I go home at the end of the day, and I feel like we worked with some people today that I made some real headway with, and they were teaching tools. And so based on what we covered, I'm guessing that millions of people got a message today that was very important. And so I'll go home and I'll be really tired, but it's what I call a good tired I feel like I used my life, I used my platform today in a really positive, impactful way. That's currency for me. I feel like I've made a difference today. So that's a currency for me. And you need to ask yourself, what is your currency? What is your real currency? Not what somebody else says Should be your currency because the worst thing in the world you can do is waste time. The key is to not waste time or effort, even on a short term goal, if that goal cannot yield what you really want and need. It's just simply inefficient. I've known people that have pursued a specific career, they've gone to school, gotten a degree worked in that field, gotten to the top of their field, and been terribly unfulfilled because it was never what they wanted to do to begin with. It wasn't the currency that they wanted. I worked with a woman one time in a life skills seminar that had spent her entire life up to the age of 45 working as an attorney. And she was good at it. She was a good attorney. But her passion, what she really wanted to do, was dance on Broadway. That was her dream as a little girl. It was her dream in junior high, high school, college. She wanted to dance on Broadway. I said, Why did you not? She said, Well, life got in the way. My dad was an attorney, my grandfather was an attorney, my mother was a paralegal. Just our family were lawyers. That's just what we did. I was expected to be a lawyer. When I got through with school, I was expected to go join my father's law firm. And I just did what I was expected to do. And everything I do, I try to do well. So I was good at doing it. And now I'm 45 years old. Have you ever seen a 45-year-old dancer on Broadway? And I said, well, I don't know. I've never checked their IDs, but probably you're right. I don't know. It seems to be probably a young person's thing. And she said, well, so I guess I'm screwed. I said, well, maybe not. And so we worked on that and said, okay, what is it you love about this concept of dancing on Broadway? So well, I just love the creative parts of it, the expressive parts of it, the choreography, the costumes, the, just everything about it is what I wanted all my life. I said, well, have you ever thought about Teaching dance in your community theater? Well, no. Well, let's think about that and jump ahead in the story two years. Being a very skilled dancer, she volunteered in the community arts program. She became the head choreographer, and the first thing that she worked on was the nutcracker for the Christmas program. And when I saw her two years later, And she had 20 or 25 young girls that she was working into this wonderful program that they were putting on, and you couldn't even get her feet on the ground. She was so fulfilled by finding a way to get that real currency. And most of these girls were from underprivileged homes, and her career as an attorney allowed her to buy every one of them the shoes they needed to dance, the tights they needed to dance, the leotards they needed to dance. She found a way to take what she had spent her life doing that she wasn't passionate about and use it to fuel what she was passionate about. And I ask her, I know this is a substitute. I know this isn't dancing on Broadway, but does it come close? she said the first time I sat on the side of the stage and watched those 22 little girls run out onto that stage and do what they did, it was my opening night. So she found a way to get her currency, to get her dream, even at 45 years of age. How about you? You have to decide that you will not take no for an answer. Don't Tell yourself no. Don't let somebody else tell you no. And don't decide there is only one way to get the currency you want. Don't decide that you've blown it, that it's too late, because it is never too late. I said there were 16 things in the playbook. Number 14, you must
1: deal only with the truth. You must deal only with the truth. Denial,
0: trivializing things, minimizing things,
1: that's for suckers. You have to deal with the truth. I don't care what it is
0: that you're dealing with, whether it's parenting your kids, dealing with a crisis in your marriage, dealing with a crisis
1: in your health, You have to deal with the truth. Winners deal with the truth.
0: And you know when they deal with it, they deal with it at the first opportunity they have. They deal with the truth as soon as it presents itself. Now, that seems self-evident, right? Telling you that if you want to be a winner, one of your items in the playbook is you deal with the truth. You don't lie to yourself. But that's not as intuitively obvious as it may seem because we tend through something called perceptual defense to
1: screen out things we don't want to see, we don't want to hear and give our brain access to only those things that don't upset us. And you have to consciously overcome that. Now, let me
0: talk about what I mean by that. And I guess it boils down to this.
1: When you think about it, don't you know the truth when you hear it? Let's say you are really worrying about something. You're really worrying about a test result from a doctor. You're really worrying about
0: your kids out on an icy road or something and it's, you're really worrying about it. And your friends are there and they're coming by and patting you on the back of the head and saying, oh, it's gonna be fine, oh, it's gonna be
1: okay. Now everything's gonna be fine. Does that really make you feel better? Because it doesn't me it's never made me feel better. What makes me feel better is somebody that comes by and says, okay, let's think this through. Let's assume that it is not good news. What's our next step? If it comes back positive, what does that mean? What do you do?
0: Monsters live in the dark. Let's turn the lights on and see what we have to deal with here. I have saved the item for last
1: that if you mismanage it can have the most devastating effect on your life. You must pick your battles and never let your opponent have control. You must pick your battles and never let your opponent have control. Now, let me talk about what I mean by pick your battles. Don't ever get in a fight that you don't need to fight. There are a lot of people... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that just,
0: they just can't pass up a good fight. Argument, they just don't realize or recognize they don't have to react just because they can.
1: There might be something going on at school with the teachers or the PTA
0: there are 500 students in the school, which means there are probably 750
1: parents. You don't have to be the one that fights that battle. Don't ever fight a battle that you don't have to fight. Now, you can think, okay, Dr. Phil, what you're saying is
0: be a passive bystander. What if everybody takes this attitude? Well, if you look around and nobody is stepping up, then that's a battle you need to fight. You don't need to be the one that charges every machine gun nest first every time. You don't need to be the one that puts yourself at risk Every single time. Don't fight a battle you don't need to fight. Fight your fair share. Contribute, support. But you don't need to be the first one through the door
1: every single time there's going to be a conflict. Don't ever fight a battle that you don't know you can win. Now again, you're probably saying, "Oh, wait a minute! What are you saying here?" I'm saying, if you can't win the battle, don't fight it. Why
0: fight a battle that you cannot win? Again, I'm not telling you how the world should work. I'm telling you how the world does work. Why fight a battle you can't win? If you know that you cannot win this debate this argument with your boss, then why do it? Go at it another way, find another approach, co-opt him or her into your way of thinking, but don't choose to engage in a battle that you cannot win.